2: Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Susan
0: Collins finally makes up her mind to cast a big no vote. The repeal effort is dead. Well, looks like it. But we can't give up. Not until Saturday and the deadline passes. Hey, hello everybody. On Tuesday, Tuesday, September 26th. Hello, 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 and welcome. Welcome to the Bill Press Show. We got a lot to talk about today, a lot going on on many, many different fronts. Today is primary day down in Alabama. Luther Strange up against Roy Moore. It's a Republican primary, of course, that's getting all the attention with not only Luther Strange, but Donald Trump on the line uh, to see how much support he'll have even among his supporters, his base in Alabama uh Indeed, the um, blowback and uh, to Donald Trump's attack on the NFL continues last night. The cowboys uh, standing strong and taking a knee, including the owner, Jerry Jones, to protest uh Donald trump basically uh, and LeBron James speaking out against the President of the United States uh, yes, and also in the Senate, it is um, Susan Collins who did finally cast that big a no vote, uh, and, or say she's going to cast a no vote. With three Republicans now deaf in the nose, it looks like that effort is finally over. And North Korea says, in effect, we. Donald Trump has declared war against North Korea, so they feel free to shoot down any American plane that gets anywhere nearby. Are we looking at perhaps an accidental war between the United States and North Korea? So much to talk about, so much you're going to want to comment on. You know how to do it. Send us your comments on Twitter. We want to hear from you at BP Show. We dive right in, but first. This is the Full Court right, Jamies
3: All
4: right, just a couple of other stories for you on this Tuesday morning. We begin with some more fallout from the NFL protests. On Sunday, Uh, if you missed it last night, Monday Night Football, the uh, Dallas Cowboys played the Arizona Cardinals. The entire team, including owner Jerry Jones, kneeled during the National Anthem. Excuse me, before the National Anthem was even played. It was kind of an odd sight. Uh, They basically took care of it before the song started playing. It was a, a, a strange situation. However, let's go back to Sunday with the Pittsburgh Steelers. You may remember the Pittsburgh Steelers. The entire team, with the exception yes. of one of their players, Charlie Villanueva, decided to stay in, in the, locker the locker room for right. the anthem. That's because the Steelers met as a team on Saturday night. There wasn't a full consensus there, so they decided to remove themselves entirely from the situation. Charlie Villanueva was speaking out yesterday saying, quote, When everyone sees images of me standing by myself, everybody thinks the team and the Steelers are not behind me. And that is absolutely wrong. It's quite the opposite. He was very upset with how this played out. However, Charlie Villanueva, who is a offensive lineman for the Pittsburgh Steelers, typically not somebody who gets any attention. He's also uh, a war veteran. His number 78 jersey is the top-selling NFL jersey right now. Yeah, so uh, I guess that worked uh, in that sense for Donald Trump. Uh, Fanatics, who manages... The NFL shop says yes, top seller beating out people like Marshawn Lynch and Aaron Rodgers.
0: Uh, yeah, I mean, or Colin Kaepernick.
4: <laughs> yeah, Colin Kaepernick's jersey, I believe, is still in the top fifty, which is kind of amazing in itself yeah, because he yeah. hasn't played because in he over can't a year. Get a job? Right. He hasn't played in over a year, but people are still buying his jersey
0: to support. The ultimate, the ultimate in your face Donald Trump would be for somebody, and they should hire Kaepernick because he's a lot better than. Half of those mediocre quarterbacks are starting today.
4: Unfortunately, no one will. Uh, let's go to a silly wrong. conspiracy theory <laughs> from the rapper B.O.B. <laughs> Fun fact, I interviewed B.O.B. when I was a freshman in college. He made waves last year for tweeting that the earth is flat. Now he wants your help to prove his theory. He has started a GoFundMe campaign called Show B.O.B. the Curve. Uh, however, as of... Yesterday, only 27 donors have given a total of $596. He's trying to raise $200,000 to prove that the earth is take flat. Take
0: him up in a plane. Show him the curb. It's, it's, it's all, that's it, right? Yeah. I mean, take them up to the Empire State Building. Show them yes. the curb. I mean, yeah, what an idiot.
2: On your radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. It is Susan Collins
0: uh, who looks like who nailed the fi- put the final nail in the coffin of the Obamacare repeal. Once again, Republicans show how totally inept they are at governing. Yeah, they can talk for 7 years about repealing Obamacare, but give them control of the House, the Senate, and the White House and they still can't get it done. Hello everybody. What do you say? It is the Bill Press Show on this Tuesday, September 26th. We are glad to see you today and so grateful that you join us for our roundup of the news of the day coming to you live from Washington, D.C., but uh, that's only where we start. We end up with you wherever you are in this great land of ours, Uh, in your car, in your home, at the office, wherever, out for a walk today. Hang in with us for the next couple of hours, uh, and you will be uh, better informed and maybe inspired to go out and resist what's going on uh, in this country because we are uh, the part of, if not the leader of, the resistance. We look, we're looking at you on Free Speech TV, joining you on YouTube. Of course, that's our YouTube channel where most of you join us, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. And on the great WCPT, Progressive Foghorn of Chicago. We're there with you as well, and on Indiana Talk. So all over the place, you can't miss us, and don't forget, we always remind you our podcast is booming away. Podcasts are a great way to catch up later in the day on what you might have missed in the morning, and you catch our podcast at the com. Hey, just a word about Puerto Rico. What do you know? Donald Trump finally discovered... Puerto Rico. Uh, last night is Friday. He finally stopped tweeting momentarily uh, about the NFL. By the way, uh, from Saturday until yesterday, Donald Trump had sent out 18 tweets on the NFL players. 18. Uh, he had done one on tax reform. <laughs> this is a big priority, right? Tax reform. Eight on health care. Most of those attacking uh, John McCain or uh, Democrats or Republicans who didn't vote for it. Uh, And until yesterday evening, not one. Not one on Puerto Rico. And yet everything we hear from Puerto Rico, it is. It's been called, the damage down there, apocalyptic. Like uh, zero electricity across the island. Still no drinking water. Uh, There are areas of Puerto Rico that they never got to. To, to help people until yesterday. It is total devastation. And now a lot of questions about uh, why the Trump administration, which admittedly, uh, and we gave them credit for it. You know, if you were listening, you know, I gave them credit for it, for a good response, a strong response on the part of FEMA and the administration uh, in Texas and Louisiana. They have ignored the Virgin Islands, ignored um, Puerto Rico, the Navy ships, the Navy um uh, uh, I wouldn't say rescue ships, but rebuilding ships or whatever, or uh, relief ships, are all in the harbor in Norfolk, not down in the Caribbean. Uh, a lot of questions being asked, and the governor of Puerto Rico is saying, "Where the hell uh, are you?" Um, what a don- and, and in one of those tweets, by the way, yesterday, of course, about Puerto Rico, uh, Donald Trump blamed Puerto Rico uh, that they're in such bad shape. He said because they have. They didn't do a good job. They have such so much debt and uh, such a broken-down infrastructure system. Basically, it's their own damn fault.
4: He spent three tweets on this. Yes. He could have just sent one tweet that said, prayers out for the people of Puerto Rico. We are working to make sure that we have first responders down there as soon as possible.
0: Or, yeah, that's right. We know you're really hurting down there. We're sending the na- The Navy is on its way. Help is on its way. No, instead he said you dumb people, why didn't you you know, have a bigger electric grid or something like that? Yeah, blaming them.
4: Yeah, for, like you have a bill from Wall Street, please pay up, okay. and then maybe we'll come down and, and help you recover.
0: Yeah, help my friends in Wall Street. Not
4: to mention that, he also tweeted a nine-minute video of John McCain all the times that he talked about repeal and replace, mm-hmm. even though this bill is effectively dead. We'll get into it in a minute, I know, but this bill is dead with Susan Collins saying no, and yet the White House thought that it was a good idea to waste some time on putting together a compilation video of something that doesn't even matter. It's
0: irrelevant yeah. now. After they were already lost, right? They, and they lost this actually before they even started. Well, so, since you go there, Jamie, let's go there. Yes, yesterday uh, it was, uh, first of all, we know that uh, the first one who came out, let's back up, repeal and replace is effectively dead. Now, with this gang... It's, you got to be very careful, right? You can't really say flat out it's dead until September 30. The deadline is gone. They can't. If they can't get 50 votes. They certainly won't be able to get 60 votes. But for now, repeal, uh, repeal, and replace with nothing. The Lindsey Graham Bill Cassidy bill is dead because there are at least three votes against it: Rand Paul, John McCain, and Susan Collins. Uh, why the hell we haven't heard from Lisa Murkowski yet, who knows. Uh, and, you know, Ted Cruz and uh, and Mike Lee are sort of playing footsie, but Ted Cruz says he'd like to be able to vote for the bill eventually. But at any rate, with those three, end of story, not even Mike Pence will be able to come in and break the tie. They uh, tried to put some uh, money behind it yesterday uh, to try to get some of those senators... Uh, to buy some of the senators in, those senators who had announced their opposition. Rand Paul was the first one who said, basically, don't insult me by uh, trying to buy me off.
4: I think if you vote for this bill, you put your stamp of approval on a trillion dollars of Obamacare spending, which we just frankly don't have.
0: And, of course, Rand Paul opposes the bill for the wrong, for the wrong reasons, for the very opposite reasons that you and I do. He but doesn't. we'll take it. But we'll take it. We'll take his no vote. Exactly. Uh, and then Susan Collins, again, uh, finally coming out uh, after the Congressional Budget Office yesterday, they couldn't they didn't score the entire bill because the damn thing keeps changing. And uh, Mitch McConnell won't give them, won't delay the vote. He can't delay the vote long enough for them to do their job. But they came out with a cursory uh, review yesterday, which said clearly, uh, without getting precise, it'll cost it, it'll millions and millions of Americans will lose their health insurance. We know that uh, the last bill was that was repeal and no replace. The CBO did score and said it would be 32 million Americans who would lose their insurance. So it could be that many. With that word, Susan Collins came out and said, "Uh uh, uh-uh, this is not the answer."
3: There are many problems in the Affordable Care Act that do need to be
5: fixed. However, it was clear to me that the Graham-Cassidy bill was not the answer.
0: Not the answer, and she said this bill, from we know about it again, would really hurt a lot of people and a lot of states. It would
3: have a negative impact on millions of Americans who are
1: now insured.
0: Last night, CNN hosted a debate on health care. Uh, uh, the timing uh, be, being very kind of curious because it was a day that it looked at that the repeal bill uh, was pretty apparent with Susan Collins' announcement the repeal bill was dead. And yet, its authors, uh, Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy, last night on CNN, uh, debating Amy, Klo- Amy Klobuchar and, um, and Bernie Sanders. Uh, of course, both of whom support uh, Medicare for all. Uh, and uh, so Lindsey Graham saying, well, first of all, let's go to Bill Cassidy. Bill Cassidy. Yeah, we just want to give all the money to the states and let them play with it.
2: Let Minnesota do what Minnesota's doing. We've heard Amy say how successful they are. And we think by doing that, it's not extreme. It's a way to bring health care to you, to you and to your state in a way which uniquely meets your needs. We are about you getting care, you being covered, you having the power.
0: Yeah, you know what that says? Yeah, let's give all the money to the states. In other words, let's let the idiot Paul LePage decide what happens in Maine, or let's let hard-hearted it, uh, Rick Scott in Florida decide whether or not people on Medicaid are going to still have Medicaid. You know, You know what they would do? They would kill the whole damn program. This guy, Bill Cassidy, has become
4: quite the ghoul over the past couple of weeks here. You know, it was a real sweet moment where he went on Jimmy Kimmel a couple of months back and said, let's um, go ahead and do the Jimmy Kimmel test. You know, we care about your baby and all this. And and now, last week, he called Jimmy Kimmel basically a liar, says he doesn't understand. You know, oh, you know, he wasn't a doctor. You know what, Bill?
0: You're a Republican. Uh, to, To me, you lose a lot of credibility right there. Uh, so up again, and Lindsey, uh, his partner, right? Uh, Lindsey Graham, who, by the way, who really I think comes out of this thing looking like a fool. Uh, yeah, when Lindsey sticks to foreign policy, sometimes he makes sense. He's too hawkish for me, of course. This is not his field, and he's out there trying to sell this turkey. Didn't work, but he keeps saying, "We're going to press on. We're going to press on, even without my buddy John McCain." Lindsey Graham last night.
5: We're going to press on. -hmm. And uh, it's okay to vote. It's okay to fall short if you do
0: for an idea you believe in. So he wants Mitch McConnell to have the vote, even though they don't have the votes. We're not sure that is going to happen. Uh, Amy Klobuchar on CNN last night, uh, (laughs) getting in a good shot about uh, why these men like, uh, uh, like maybe Orrin Hatch. or uh, who had a hearing yesterday, or Lindsey Graham or Bill Cassidy just don't get it.
5: I still remember that debate about making maternity care an essential benefit. One of the Republican senators said uh, to Senator Stabenow, I don't know why you'd include that. I would never use it. And without missing a beat, she said, I bet your mother
0: did. <laughs> and guess what? It got included and it's still included. And that's something we have to protect. One more thing I'd add, I love these guys, but maybe if we added a few more women senators, I could be a little And Bernie Sanders, uh, the hero of the moment, uh, Bernie Sanders last, last night, I think making a very important point, point. and listen very carefully, Bernie Sanders, here he is debating what ought to happen next, and he doesn't say to his, I just want to point out to his critics, Bernie Sanders doesn't say, we have to leap tomorrow right into Medicare for all, right into single payer. No. He says the first next step and the obvious next step is fix Obamacare.
2: What the American people want is us to work together to build on and improve the Affordable Care Act, not repeal.
0: Exactly. And there are many improvements possible in the Affordable Care Act, which, by the way, uh, as we know, that effort was underway in a bipartisan way with Lamar Alexander uh, and Patty Murray from Washington leading the way they were making a lot of progress uh, to make sure that the subsidies remain for people who need them that the, that the restrictions on the insurance companies uh, not being able to sell worthless products or having to take care of people with uh, uh, pre-existing conditions all of that remained uh, and they were of course putting um, more restrictions on uh, I mean uh, lifting uh, the limits of the federal government in terms of Prescription drugs and being able to bargain for lower prices for prescription drugs. They were working on a, in the right direction, going in the right direction in a bipartisan fashion. They dropped it. Lamar Alexander just dropped it under pressure from Mitch McConnell uh, when Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy came up with this bogus repeal plan. Hopefully, now that bipartisan effort could get underway again. That is the only way to go.
4: You know, for those of you who keep trying to remind us that Bernie Sanders isn't independent, and yes, that's true, or he's the Democrats' boogeyman, or whatever else you've come up with to say that he is not somebody who should be representing the party, take that last clip as an example of, you know, he understands that Medicare for All, again, is aspirational, and what he is doing is being realistic, and he is clearly on the side of the Democrats right now, and he is also clearly on the side of possibly working together with Republicans if, as you say, we can find it bipartisan. Fix. Uh,
0: and by the way, happens to be uh, the <laughs> happens to be, if you ask people today in any opinion polls, who is the most popular? The who has the highest favorable opinions? Favorable opinions among Democrats? Who do you like the most? Put it that way. Bernie Sanders comes out number one. No, people huh. don't say, "Oh, he's not a Democrat." No, Bernie Sanders comes out number one. Uh good point, Jamie. By the way, so uh, while we're there, let's uh, let's, go, let's jump over to the White House. Interesting, isn't it? Now, the New York Times reporting yesterday we mentioned, uh-oh, guess who got caught with a private email server at home and using them for government business? No, we're not talking about Hillary Clinton at all. We are talking about Jared Kushner. That was yesterday. Now we know it wasn't just Jared Kushner. New York Times reporting this morning. It was at least... Six members of the Trump White House, uh, who whom the White House acknowledges, they say it was very rare, but acknowledges that they were using a private server in that that they set up in their home because it was more convenient to do so. <laughs> Echoes of Hillary Clinton, right? And those five, those six people include. So we got Jared. Uh, the others include Ivanka. Reince Priebus, Steve Bannon, Gary Cohn, and Steve Miller. All people very, very close to the president of the United States. And again, their defense is, oh, we didn't do it all the time. Um, we, it, we set it up in our home because it was more convenient to do so than to go through all that government, official government crap uh, with all those rules and regulations I mean, it is, it's, if it weren't so hypocritical, it would be funny, right? Where's the outrage on the part of the right wing? Where is the outrage on the part of Donald Trump? Why aren't, where are the congressional hearings on these emails? Why aren't they accusing them of breaking the law? Why don't we hear the crowds chanting, lock them up, lock them up? And we never will because they're such. Freaking hypocrites, as Hillary Clinton herself yesterday said, on Sirius XM. The the gall of these people after they did what they did to me, now to go out and do the same thing and, and say it's no big deal. And the hypocrisy of this administration, who
5: knew there was no real scandal, who knew that there was no, uh, you know, basis for all their hyperventilating, Republican members of Congress who
0: politicized the deaths in Benghazi, which I thought was outrageous. Uh, Indeed, uh, outrageous. Now, one good thing about this I do want to point out, we'll see where it goes, uh, but Republican Chairman uh, Trey Gowdy of the Oversight Committee, uh, along with Democrat Elijah Cummings, both of them together said they want to see the emails. (laughs) Didn't say they're going to hold hearings, but Trey Gowdy said, this is wrong. This is wrong practice. They should not be doing it. And we want to see the emails. We'll see how far that we'll goes. We'll see how long Trey Gowdy carries exactly. that football. Yeah, I, I think exactly. Elijah
4: Cummings will have great faith in, but Trey Gowdy, on the other hand. So. Oh,
0: yeah. Elijah Cummings won't let it go, but the chairman, uh, Republicans are in control. Remember, the chairman's got to be the one who calls the hearings. I'd love to see all six of these guys up in front of that committee. Uh, talking about their uh, talking about their uh, email. Remember that one hearing? They, I think they had about fifteen hearings, and at one hearing, Hillary testified for like twelve hours yeah. or something like that.
4: When she was a candidate too, so she yeah. took time yeah. took out of out. her campaign schedule yeah. to sit there and just she never and, faltered.
0: And there was nothing there, nothing, nothing. They never laid a glove on her, and they never came up with any any evidence that there was ever that she that there was ever any top-secret information among those emails or that ever uh, uh, undermined our national security in any way whatsoever. Uh, At least ought to mention the growing situation, uh, troubling situation in North Korea. I can't tell you uh, how many times a day people say to me, you know what, I'm scared to death about North Korea. And I think we all ought to be because... (laughs) You know we've got two madmen uh, running two countries that look like are on a collision course. Donald Trump and Kim Jong Un. Donald Trump uh, using his speech at the UN to promise to totally, totally destroy uh, North Korea, led by the man he called Rocket Man. Uh, naturally, you're going to get a response on the part of North Korea. Uh, Kim Jong Un then giving a speech, rare speech of, for, by himself on national television in North Korea, uh, where he <laughs> called uh, Donald Trump a dotard, uh, which is a word we never use anymore, uh, but it's a good word. Uh, I think it's a good word to describe Donald Trump. A uh, dotard is um, an old, senile man. Old, weak, senile man. Sounds about right. Pretty good. Dotard. I don't know where we got that word from Mr. thesaurus, maybe, but anyway, he came up with that. Uh, and then we responded to that, which I, I still think is a silly sort of uh, show of our manhood, maybe, uh, by flying a B-52 bombers and, um, or B-2 bombers, I'm sorry, and uh, these fighter jets off the coast of North Korea yesterday. They were 200 miles out, uh, so they were not within range. Uh, and the foreign minister of Korea, North Korea, responded to that by saying that Donald Trump has declared war on us, so we consider ourselves in a state of war with the United States, and we now have the right to shoot down, in a state of war, uh, any American airplanes. And we also have the right, maybe, to uh, test a bomb over the Pacific. Look, the, <laughs> it's bad enough, but the rhetoric and now the actions are escalating. Let's just hope some calm, level heads intervene here before we could have an accidental war. I mean, either one of these madmen Either one of these, either Twitter man or Rocket man, uh, is capable of just, on an impulse, pushing the button and starting uh, the whole thing. I think we're in good shape. Uh, yeah, we're not in good shape. And then finally, the NFL. If Donald Trump uh, thought that he could put this behind him, it's just the opposite reaction. Jamie, as you pointed out um, uh, earlier, it uh, continued last night with the entire Cowboys team and their owner, Jerry Jones, taking a knee. Uh, before the National Anthem uh, was, was played. Uh, Donald Trump tweeted again about it yesterday, almost all day yesterday, uh, You know, saying after attacking the NFL, 70% of whose players are black, uh, he po- posed as the uh, poster boy for uh, patriotism and respect for the flag, NASCAR. Uh, 99.9% of whose drivers are white, maybe 100%.
4: And as we learned from Lindsey Gibbs from Think Progress yesterday, uh, some of the worst ratings in sports
0: right yes, now. Right. Mm-hmm. NASCAR. Uh, and by the way, that sort of was undercut when Dale Earnhardt, who is the number one NASCAR uh, um, leader of the NASCAR drivers, at any rate, the number one most popular in the United States, uh, did put out his own tweet saying that uh, the president was wrong, that uh, people in the United States certainly have the right to protest. This came up, this dominated the White House briefing yesterday, which uh, I attended, Uh, and the question really was on, well, how can the President of the United States stand at the podium behind the presidential seal and call people sons of bitches? Sarah, Sarah Huckabee Sanders says, oh, no, 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 this is perfectly fine.
5: I think that it's always appropriate for the president of the United States to defend our flag, to defend the national anthem, and to defend the men and women who fought and died to defend it.
0: No she, would, no, she doesn't answer the question. No, the question is not, is it okay for the president to defend the flag? Of course it is. The question is, how does it bring people together? How is it presidential to be calling people sons of bitches? And isn't this just an attack on these NFL players who are daring exercise their right under the Constitution. She says, no, this isn't again. Here's what's going on, right? They're trying, as we pointed out again yesterday, they're trying to wrap this racism in the American flag. Here's Sarah Huckabee Sanders again.
5: This isn't about the president being against anyone, but this is about the president and millions of Americans being for something. Being for honoring our flag, honoring our national anthem, uh, and honoring the men and women who fought to defend it.
0: Uh, No, and as somebody pointed out, Halle Jackson from NBC yesterday, you know, again, this is nothing about the flag. This really is nothing about the flag, right? And the president's responsibility, even if it were, is not to defend the flag. The President's responsibility, the oath that he takes, is to defend the Constitution of the United States. And the Constitution gives every American the right to protest an act of our government. And what the NFL players have made it very, very clear, and that's why Sarah Huckabee Sanders also yesterday saying this had nothing to do with racism. Of course it has to do with racism. If, if you look at the fact, where did he say it? In Alabama. Who did he attack? NFL players, 70% of whom are black. This follows on the heels of Charlottesville, where he said there's some very fine people among those KKK. This follows on the heel of a man who we first heard of when he and his father were sued by the Department of Justice for not renting apartments to African Americans in Queens. This man is a racist, and he has been his entire life. That's what this is about. And then Sarah Huckabee Sanders in his briefing yesterday, I mean, uh, well, it's, it's, when someone pointed out these protests were really about police brutality against unarmed young black men in this country. How can you say again this is not racist? She said, well, if it's really about police brutality, here's what they ought to do.
5: Is, is, the debate is really, for them, about police brutality. They should probably protest the officers on the field that are protecting them instead of the American flag.
0: Uh, i got to tell you, there were several people, including me, out loud in the briefing room ses- yesterday, who said, What? She was telling, saying the players, she backed off it later, saying the players ought to protest the police officers who are there in the stadium if they really are against police brutality. Uh, I mean, unfreaking believable. LeBron James had the final word yesterday. LeBron James. It was a uh, media day for the uh, uh, NBA, uh, and he, of course, was asked. And he had spoken out over the weekend when uh, the president rescinded the invitation to uh, Steph Curry and the uh, and the Warriors. Right? No. Yes. The, yeah. Well, the Warriors. Yeah. Uh, for the uh, and they who who were not who said they were, weren't interested in going to the White House anyway. President officially rescinded the invitation. LeBron James called him a bum. Uh, yesterday he picked up on that saying um, there are some people who can unite this country. Donald Trump's not one of them. The most powerful position in the world has an opportunity to bring us closer together as a people and inspire the youth and put the youth at ease on saying that it is OK for me to walk down the street and not be judged because of the color of my skin or because of my race. Yeah, that's what the president should be doing. Instead, he is dividing the country, as 66 percent of Americans believe, according to the latest ABC and Washington Post poll.
4: I want to add one more thing before we head a break. We are on Twitter at BP Show. Yesterday, we asked you in a poll whether or not you think the anthem should continue to be played at professional sports games. Fifty four percent of you said no. Thirty three percent said don't care. Thirteen percent said yes. So the majority of you believe that the national anthem has no place in professional sports.
0: Uh, boy, that starts another whole discussion. I t- certainly uh, agree with that. Uh, I've been doing a little research on it. It didn't. We haven't. It started in World War II, by the way, uh, and uh, now it's it's obligatory at every hockey game, f- professional hockey game, soccer game, basketball game, baseball game, and football game why okay now I like to go to the opera Mm -hmm. they don't play the Star Spangled Banner at the beginning of the opera so (laughs) am I less patriotic (laughs) what if I go to a, a what if I go to a Grateful Dead concert they don't play the Star Spangled Banner at a rock concert, right?
4: I feel like Kid Rock might play it at the beginning of his concert, so it's well, a little bit different.
0: That is a, lo- a lot different, yeah. Meanwhile, what is the latest on the uh, on the situation in Puerto Rico, in the Virgin Islands, and in Cuba post-hurricane, and the impact of President Trump's restrictions on travel to Cuba? Cuba. Colin Laverty is the president of Cuba Educational Travel, joins us in studio the next half hour. Stay tuned. The people
2: run this country not one individual and damn sure not him download our podcast search for the bill press show on itunes and remember to rate review and subscribe this is the bill press show Same great show, new great channel. Stream live video at youtube.com slash thebillpressshow.
0: Here we go on a Tuesday. Uh, Tuesday, my sh- little sheet shows me here it's September 27. I think this is actually September 26. <clears throat> here he goes uh, again, throwing the producers under the bus. There we go, Throw the producers under the bus. Hey, hello everybody, great to see you today. Thank you so much for joining us as we come to you live from Washington, D.C., Brought to you today by the United Steelworkers and their international president, uh, the one and only Leo Girard, a great fighter for working families in this country, uh, leading the fight to bring those steel jobs back to the United States. The North Ameri- the United Steelworkers, of course, North America's largest industrial union, representing over 1.2 million active and retired members. Uh, give them a shout out at their website, usw.org. Uh, uh, Donald Trump, finally... Um, Realizing that uh, there's a hurricane going on in the Caribbean, and Puerto Rico was pretty much wiped out, and uh, maybe he should stop giving so much attention uh, to NFL football players uh, and uh, their uh, protest, and think about the people suffering, people of Puerto Rico and the whole Caribbean, and the people of Cuba. Colin Laverty is the president of Cuban Educational Travel. Uh, just a little background here. A couple of years ago, uh, Carol and I joined The Nation magazine for a trip to Cuba. It was our second trip to Cuba. Uh, and uh, that uh, our trip down there was uh, organized by and led by, in addition to Peter Cornblue, whom you've met on our program, Colin Laverty from Cuba Educational Travel. And it's good to see you again. And thank you again for uh, uh, giving us such a great, great introduction to Cuba when we were down there. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. What do you hear from Puerto Rico, first of all? Um, I mean, we haven't, I've been
3: in Cuba, and so we haven't heard uh, much. I know officially the the media in Cuba has covered the devastation, the hardship, and and the Cuban government did reach out and offer to send a, a medical brigade of 30 or so um, Cuban medical professionals to, to help with some of the health issues they're facing afterwards.
0: We, uh, heard yesterday there were some areas of Puerto Rico. They were just getting to for the first time, some of the remote areas uh, of that Island throughout the Virgin Islands, uh, also devastation like we haven't seen before, I guess. And and in Cuba, particularly you were in Cuba during the hurricane, Colin?
3: Correct. Uh, So I was in Havana, which, uh, we got kind of the outlying uh, part of the storms. It was tropical storm uh, conditions uh, that caused serious winds and flooding, but
0: it wasn't hit as hard as some other areas of the island. Right. Uh, it, it, one original path of Irma looked like it was going to be a direct hit uh, on Mainland, but it sort of veered off to the north, Right. Yeah, exactly. It actually,
3: at first, it looked like it was going to hit the uh, the eastern tip of the island and head north, and then it actually kind of straddled and went along the whole northern coast all the way to about 100 miles uh, uh, east of, of Havana when it finally pulled up and
0: headed towards Florida. But uh, the flooding, the video of the flooding that we saw in, in, even in Havana with a tropical storm was pretty serious. Yeah, and... Um, I think that's
3: one of the challenges that the government has now. There's certainly some cities and towns along the northern coast that are um, facing really severe destruction and and a a significant rebuilding challenge. Uh, At the same time, because of the devastation that was caused in other islands and then the footage of the flooding in Havana and some of the hard hit towns, I think there's a misconception amongst Americans that that Cuba's been wiped out altogether. And and the truth is, you know, the majority of the island is is functioning at 100%. It's back to normal. It's as beautiful as ever. And and people should
0: come visit. Well, that (laughs) there you go. Spoken as a head of the Cuba educational travel. But first of all, before we get to that, it's not as easy to come visit as it used to be. There's, uh, I think that's 100% correct. There's,
3: there's two elements that we're dealing with uh, right now. One is a policy change by the Trump administration, which has made it more complicated uh, to travel to Cuba. And the other element is it it still is very possible to find legal ways to go to Cuba. We have direct flights, and there's all different ways to go down. But I think the rhetoric by the president um, and, and some of the confusion, it's, conf- it, it's confusing stuff to figure out how to go and whether you can go legally. And so that's led to
0: many would-be travelers choosing to go somewhere else. Well, so President Obama certainly lifted the restrictions beforehand, started the uh, the cruise ship's ability to go down there uh, gave the green light to the airlines to start direct commercial flights. And as I recall, basically, you had to be. You still had to get permission, but you had to be like one of 12 groups and it was easy easy to get in one of those 12 groups, right? Exactly. And the, the big thing that President Obama... What's the change
3: now? So, so the big thing that President Obama did, uh, you know, aside from uh, an aviation agreement that led to direct flights, which has just been a game changer in terms of the ability to get there and how much it costs, um, allowing Airbnb to open up some American hotels. Um, so those were all fundamental. The biggest change was that... There's one of the 12 categories, which is called people-to-people, people. Yeah. you previously had to go with an organization, which makes it more mm-hmm. uh, cumbersome and, and costly, and he allowed individuals to kind of just self-certify and say, when I yeah. go to Cuba, I'm going to spend time with Cuban people, and President Trump has eliminated that category.
0: So now, you, if you want to go, how do you get permission to go? Well, we're I mean, st- I, and I encourage everybody to go. It's a, it's a good- it's a beautiful, beautiful country, and the people are wonderful, and uh, the food is great. And hook up with Colin, and he'll introduce you to some interesting people.
3: Yeah, so I mean, I think the big thing is do a little bit of research. There's tons of organizations out there, and um, there's a lot of diversity in Do you still the have to
0: go with an organization now? To
3: some extent. There's more flexibility, um, but you can do <laughs> kind of a, a partial visit where you have a couple of days that are organized, some days on your own. Um, There there's a lot of small groups. You can go as a couple Um, There's a lot of flexibility in there. So do your research. Um, There's a lot of diversity in in offers Um, And then the other element is uh, you know president president Trump went to Miami and and made this big hoopla about You know a policy change in June and here we are X amount of months later waiting for these new regulations to come out They have not been written. um, So it's very hard for us to work to educate people um, and to work around these new regulations when they haven't come out, we're waiting for the Treasury Department to publish them. You know, it could be tomorrow. It could be months from now.
0: Is it safe,
3: travel in Cuba, safe? Incredibly safe. Um, it's always been incredibly safe. And it's one thing that I like to note after, um, you know, after the hurricane, you, know, you see some other areas of the Caribbean that are facing, you know, food shortages or upticks in crime and, and none of that. Um, you'll see Cuba's always been one of the safest countries in the region, and um, the people are so welcoming, and so I, I don't think any of that has changed one bit. I,
0: I had I almost laughed out loud this morning when I I saw a headline somewhere um, that the United States has placed a um, a a ban on travel to North Korea. Um, I don't think there are a lot of Americans going to North Korea on vacation, are there? I don't. I mean, I, you can, I,
3: I wouldn't. Yeah, I don't think that uh, that's going to have a a significant
0: market <laughs> impact. No, I don't, I don't think so either. But uh, mar, the market impact in Cuba, um, largely because of President Obama's lifting the restrictions, uh, it was remarkable, wasn't it?
3: Yeah, it really was. In and terms I, of Americans, we know that. We uh, we actually uh, commissioned a study uh, several months ago b- before the Trump administration made its policy change to look at the impact Uh, that travel's had on the private sector in Cuba. And it was kind of perfect timing in the sense that Cuba's undergoing an economic reform process and they've really liberalized small businesses. So there's now half a million Cubans uh, running small businesses, restaurants, uh, rental homes, taxis. uh, And they are directly connecting with American travelers. And um, so, you know, you hear folks, I've gotten a lot of calls in the last week or two where Cuban entrepreneurs are calling it the Irma, the Trump-Irma combo, where you know President Trump slowed down travel. There's a lot of confusion. Um, and then Hurricane Irma came, and I think a lot of travelers think that the island's devastated, and it's certainly not the case in Havana and many other cities. Um, and so entrepreneurs are, are directly affected by a downtick in, in uh, U.S. travel to Cuba.
0: Uh, how many Americans did you see last year?
3: Uh, so the, the numbers, uh, if you look at them between uh, Americans and Cuban Americans, we were up around 800,000, which puts us just behind Canada as the biggest source of visitors to the island. I expect that number to be a little higher uh, this year. Um, so it's, it's remarkable in the sense that we're restricting travel. It's still, you know, you still have to somewhat jump through hoops to get there, and uh, people are going in in waves.
0: Uh, And people ought to understand that getting to Cuba, I mean, is relatively easy. I I had a friend who went to Madagascar last week, right? I thought it was like a 15-hour flight. I mean, Cuba, for us, we left from Tampa. Havana, it was less than an hour. Exactly, and now with uh, yeah, with all these. So from New York, it's what hour and a half or something. Yeah,
3: about two, a little over two hours. Um, and so there's flights from New York direct. There's flights from LA. There's flights from Houston, uh, Miami, Orlando, Tampa. Um, so yeah, I mean it's incredible. You can get on get on a plane. You're there a couple hours later. You can book an Airbnb. You can book a hotel uh so it's 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 definitely not uh the way it was years ago when you had to take a charter
0: flight and 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 go through a lot of other hassle so we were the, the first time that we went to Cuba i forget exactly what year it was um it was the, the middle of the old old regime if you will um fidel still very much in power and the united states in 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 a very much of an anti cuba kind of posture and when we went a year and a half ago, the difference was astounding in terms of small businesses, openness, and a new government. And also some, you could see, changes taking place in Cuba's economic structure, right? Like, so, And the phrase that we kept hearing from people was, uh, we're changing, but you know we don't want to become just like the United States, right? We want a different kind of... So, like, they use this phrase, as I recall like socialism with a human face or socialism with a smile, or we want to be like Sweden. Right. So what, what changes are taking place?
3: Uh, it's a, it's a, a great question. Uh, it's an incredibly interesting moment uh, as you know, Raul Castro will, will step down in February of next year along with uh, the historic leadership of, of the revolution. Uh, so there's a lot of, uh, I think there's a lot of debate about, you know, the way forward. Um, there's a lot of thinking about uh, what Cuba should look like uh, in the years to come and how to get there. Um, so that, that'll be incredibly interesting. If you step back and you look at the Cuba today compared to the Cuba of, you know, five to ten years ago, quite remarkable the change. You know, couldn't start a business, now you can start a business, couldn't buy and sell homes, you can now buy and sell homes. Uh, Cubans couldn't really travel abroad, now they can freely travel abroad there was a divide between uh, you know cubans on and off the island now there's incredible reconciliation and um, connectivity between cubans on and off the island uh, internet was non-existent now uh, yeah. you know it's the fastest growing country on social media over the last 2 years um, so if you put that in context uh, you know it's it, the island's changed incredibly and uh, you know but the next few months will be very interesting i think that you know they have severe Economic challenges. Um, there's external factors like Venezuela and, and Brazil that are affecting their economy. Um, they need a, a real updating uh, to, to how the system works, and at, that comes at a time where you have a hostile uh, administration ninety miles away, um, and you have your historic leadership stepping down. So it's going to be it's going to be
0: interesting. Cuba still imports a huge percentage of its food. Correct. Correct. It's Why? A- uh,
3: They've been unproductive. In uh, if you look back, and it's one of the things that they'll, the government has made a priority and that they acknowledge, you know. But if you look back um, years and years ago, they were quite efficient in the agricultural sector and, and even exporting. And over time, uh, you know, between you know not investing sufficiently, you know, inefficient systems. External shocks; uh, they've, it's resulted in them importing about seventy to eighty percent of all food, which is astounding,
0: right? I mean, it, and really leaves them beholden at the mercy of uh, you know, a lot of other countries, of course. Exactly. Uh, and I, mean, I remember when, me, when we went—I uh, um, forget the name of the, wherever we went—north of Havana. You know, we went like a couple of hours, and it was all this land, just this open land. And I kept thinking these could be growing crops, right? And, no, nothing no and it's been uh it's been a
3: priority of the reform program over the last few years but i think they they're struggling um you know there there is a real struggle in terms of figuring out how much
0: market to let in uh-huh. uh, and do they admit that uh, communism is that you as an example of communism fail failing i don't think you'll hear anyone
3: from the government saying that right can we conclude that <laughs> i think you can come to uh I mean I think if you look at Cuba and you look at economics and you even listen to the highest leaders in Cuba talking about what needs to go to be done to make the economy work I think you can conclude that on the economic front it has not worked right. I think if you look on the social front there's you know significant accomplishments that they've made and they hope to preserve as they modernize their economy um, you know not lose some of the achievements that they've had in health and education and sports and culture
0: in the group that we That our group uh, with the nation magazine was down there and there as you recall Maybe there were 60 of us at originally the the, play, the thing was over double books, So there were two groups of 30 but the overwhelming sentiment among uh, the people that we were with was we wanted to get down there and see Cuba before they destroyed it. In other words, they were going to change. We were afraid that they're just going to make it like a McDonald's on every corner. Right. Um, are they aware of or or just let the American companies come down and build skyscrapers and condos on the beach and, you know, kind of destroy the goose that lays the golden egg? Are they aware of that threat? Or does it worry them? And are they uh, are, are they like in control to kind of keep the character of Cuba?
3: You know, I have. Uh, I'm optimistic. I believe in in the Cuban people. Um, I think there's incredible <laughs> talent in terms of academics and and social organizations and folks that do understand that challenge. And I think that um, you know to look at it and think that. Because the embargo is lifted, you know that means that the Cuban government has to allow all of these companies in. Is not the accurate way to look at it because they've been open, you know, to foreign investment for twenty years. They've had Europeans and Canadians, and they've done a good job of managing that investment. Um, so I have faith in the Cuban people that they'll be able to make decisions. Uh, you know, weigh the costs and the benefits, and I do think that there's a lot of people in Cuba that realize that Cuba is special. Um, because of the way that it looks, you know, the fact that it doesn't have those things.
0: To what extent is there a generational shift now, both in Miami and in Cuba?
3: Incredible. Um, I think that the, uh, the generational shift in Miami has been one of the drivers of, of U.S. policy. I mean, if you look back, if you look at voting uh, patterns amongst Cuban Americans in the United States, um, you went from you know twenty five percent for John Kerry in two thousand and four to thirty five percent for Barack Obama in two thousand and eight, and then now a split about fifty fifty for Obama in two thousand and twelve, and then for Hillary, um, and that represents. This is in Miami. This is in Miami. <laughs> yeah, and yeah. so so that represents uh, significant change amongst uh, you know Cuban Americans. They either don't care about Cuba or they look at it differently, and they want to be there. They want to invest. They want to visit family, um, and the same can be said. Uh, f- for, for Cuba, you know, I mentioned it's the fastest growing social media country in the world. The youth are doing the same things that youth are doing here. Um, and so they, their way of looking at the world is very similar to, to folks anywhere else.
0: You keep mentioning the internet. It brings a smile to my face. I hope the internet service has improved at the Capri Hotel <laughs> from what it was when we were there. When you had to get your ticket or your whatever and wait in the lobby. And uh, it, sometimes it worked and sometimes it didn't. It was pretty pretty frustrating. You mentioned the embargo, Colin. Colin Laverty is the president of Cuba Educational Travel. And that's their website, too. CubaEducationalTravel.org. So you run... Tours. You're one of the groups people can go with, correct?
3: Correct. We do, uh, yeah, we do tours, we do events, we're doing a lot of corporate retreats, weddings, bachelor parties, a lot of private trips for couples and families. So uh, academic conferences, medical conferences, bring a lot of law groups down, a lot of businesses looking for business opportunities, state delegations with
0: governors or ports.
3: You got it covered.
0: Yeah. Yeah. All right. So uh, if you're looking for somebody who can help you and... uh, advise you uh, and make your time in Cuba uh, worthwhile and fun. Uh, Cubaeducationaltravel.com. You mentioned the embargo. That's still there, still hanging out there. What impact does it have? And what are the chances that uh, we're going to see? I know Obama would have done it if he had the votes, the end of the embargo. So I'm, the embargo is alive uh, and very,
3: very real. Uh, the Obama administration used executive authority to make some carve-outs in, in terms of enhancing the ability to travel and to do business in Cuba. Uh, but until the embargo is lifted, it's incredibly difficult for U.S. businesses and U.S. individuals to be active in Cuba. I mean, on the way here, I was communicating with my bank because one of the universities that we're taking down in a couple weeks Um, their bank has frozen the payment because it said Cuba, and um, those are reminders. uh, But you know, you hear examples. We'll get it out. But Cuba is an incredibly dirty word in financial circles, and you know, you talk to healthcare organizations that are trying to send equipment, and they're not allowed to send it. Um, you know, boats that go down to bring food, but they come back empty because Cuba is not allowed to sell anything to the United States. That drives up costs. So there's very real. Implications. I think that there is broad bipartisan support uh, in Congress. There's a few very powerful, very vocal Cuban American members of Congress that have been very effective in using their influence in certain committees and on certain issues uh, to prevent it from going to votes in certain committees where uh, there's support. So I think we're getting there. We're chipping away little by little.
0: What's your best pitch for people to come to Cuba? Why should they want to come to Cuba?
3: Uh, I, I always say uh, you know, th- the people. Um, I think you have amazing people, you look at culture. It's such a unique place between the the relationship with uh, the the United States, the history. There's not many other places you can visit, certainly not this close, where you can literally go back in time and you can witness uh, a transition. I mean, there's a transition going on right now, so it's incredibly intellectually stimulating. And then on top of that, you're just going to see, you know, incredible people dancing, smiling, hugging you, talking. Um, so the the interaction and, and that the human element of it is really striking as well. The music is
0: everywhere. You know, it's just it, it, it just you're you're right. You dance when you get off the plane, right? Just exactly. About. Yeah. Right. Uh, and the restaurants are great. The Palavares, are private, more and more private restaurants, uh, and the great beaches and uh, and and. Old Havana, beautiful, beautiful city. So I, I can't re- recommend it too highly. And again, the place to get, uh, find out more about it and maybe to help your travel to Cuba would be Cuba Educational It's good to see you, Colin. Likewise. Thank H- you so much. How much time do you spend here and how much time there? Every couple of weeks coming
3: up here to uh, to talk to Congress and, and talk to folks in the administration and mm-hmm. to try and push things
0: forward politically. The rest of the time in Cuba. All right. We'll see you down there or back here uh, again soon. Thanks so much for coming in. Thank you. We get back to politics with Jamal Simmons, Democratic strategist, in the next hour on The Bill Press Show. This is The Bill Press Show. She finally said no. Susan Collins, a third Republican to say no to the Graham-Cassidy repeal bill, which means maybe it's dead. Although, uh, can't say so for sure until uh, September 30 rolls around. And this is only uh, September 26th, Tuesday. Hello, everybody. Great to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show coming to you live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, with all the news of the day, we've got it covered. The latest efforts, yes, and the uh, uh, looks like the demise of the repeal and replace it with nothing bill. Um, Donald Trump still doubling down on his uh, criticism of NFL players, although he's been roundly condemned by not only players but the owners and many, many fans. Uh, and uh, the news that, uh, <laughs> boy... Private email servers seem to be the thing in the uh, Trump administration. Six members of the Trump administration uh, now found the White House admits to be using their private email servers, just like Hillary Clinton did for government business. Maybe their reaction might be a little different, do you think? Uh, Joining us to hopscotch through all the news of the day for this hour is a friend of Bill. Our good friend, Democratic strategist Jamal Simmons. Hello,
1: Jamal. Good morning, Bill. How are, what are you, you? Up to staying out of trouble? Uh, trying to. I hope A not. little bit. I hope not. A little bit. No, <laughs> <laughs> Only good trouble, as John Lewis would say, right? Ja-
0: no, Jamal Simmons, who made one of the uh, most lasting statements about sports ever on this program a few years ago when he said, If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. (laughs) Do you remember that? I don't know if that was me. uh, Peter Ogburn and I remember I'll take it. We think of it all the time. (laughs) I will take it. Jamal with us and all of you. Don't forget your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. But first. This
2: is the full court press. Just uh, a couple
0: of other stories for you on this
4: Tuesday morning. We begin uh, with Pat Tillman who, unlike Donald Trump, was a real patriot who served his country. The former NFL player gave up his contract with the Arizona Cardinals to serve in the Army just months after the September 11th attacks. He died in a friendly fire incident in Afghanistan in 2004. On Monday, Donald Trump retweeted a pro-Trump Twitter account that used Tillman's likeness to endorse the president's distaste for the anthem protests. However, Marie Tillman, Pat's widow, released a statement to CNN last night and rebuked Trump's use of her late husband's name to boost his argument. She said, in part, Pat's service, along with that of every man and woman's service, should never be politicized in a way that divides us. We are too great of a country for that. Little dig there at Make America Great Again. Pat Tillman was known for his liberal views. Not that that matters,
0: but it's true. Well, good for her. You know, it was tasteless to say the least of Donald Trump to uh, to inject Pat Tillman into this NFL battle. So Great. I'm glad. I'm glad uh, he got slapped down for it.
4: With the news that the uh, GOP health care bill looks like it is dead in the water, Jimmy Kimmel taking a victory uh-huh. lap last night on his show, saying <laughs> John McCain may have saved the Republican Party. With his decision, which of course came prior to Susan Collins last night, here in part is what Jimmy Kimmel said. I talked to probably 200 people and I heard these stories
1: over and over again. I saw pictures of children who are not well. People got teared up. Quite a few of these people told me they're Republicans, Republican people, not politicians. There's a very big difference.
4: Jimmy Kimmel did go on to say that he now is able to go back to to joking about the Kardashians again. So uh, he doesn't have to start each monologue with such a heavy subject. Of course, we are all grateful that, of, that the uh, Graham-Cassidy bill looks like it is over. And finally, one final story. We'll stop back again at the sports desk. History yesterday in Major League Baseball, Aaron Judge of the New York Yankees oh. uh, is now the first rookie in Major League Baseball history to hit 50 homers. In a single season, that best, Mark McGuire's 49 in 1987 when he was a member of the Oakland A's. Aaron Judge hit two home runs yesterday, and the New York Yankees uh, went on in victory. Steroids. I don't think so. I think he's just a big guy. I mean, he's got a lot of power just, just on his own.
2: Radio, on TV, and online. This is the Bill Press Show. There are now three Republicans
0: who have said no way, no how to the Graham-Cassidy repeal and don't replace bill. Rand Paul, John McCain, and yesterday Susan Collins. Still haven't heard from Lisa Murkowski, but you only need three. It looks like the bill is dead unless somebody changes his or her mind. Hello, everybody. That's good news. Hello, everybody. It is The Bill Press Show on a Tuesday, September 26. Welcome to the program. Wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, we're there with you coast to coast on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. Joining you on Free Speech TV and out in the Chicago area on the great WCPT, uh, Progressive Voice of Chicago, here with us in studios, a friend of Bill for this hour, Democratic strategist Jamal Simmons. Jamal, it's good to see you. It's good to see you, Bill. It's good I, to be back. I, I it's know been it's been a while. I, I love know. it here. Yeah, Damn. it's like,
1: like a little homecoming. You,
0: you you were part of the team, part yeah. of the family for sure. So uh, you know, you've advised many politicians, if uh, for uh, ill and for good. There you <laughs> go. All right. So if uh, it's, I know it's a stretch, but to think if you were advising uh, Donald Trump um, with um, the hurricane devastation in Puerto Rico with Republicans right on the verge of being able to fulfill their seven-year promise of repealing Obamacare and with all of us maybe on the verge of war with North Korea.
1: Would you advise him to um, spend all this time talking about NFL? Yeah, I think I may just advise him to take a nap because (laughs) (laughs) if he would just stop doing things, he'd be better off than where he is today. You know, The reality is we know – Look at what's happening in Puerto Rico. It's devastated. The president attacks them for financial problems while people are in the streets trying to find food and water. Basically, saying it's your own fault. It's your own fault. Uh, even though a storm is what came through there, uh, someone said this the other day, and I think they're right. We have to be prepared for about a hundred thousand people to come to the United States and figure out how we're going to help them um, get acclimated while their homes are being rebuilt and their streets are being rebuilt in Puerto Rico. Where we're going to mm. see and a lot of people that come to the United of. Sure, absolutely. Sure. So, so communities like Orlando, Florida, New York City, um, all you know, all over Florida, uh, are going to see a lot of friends and family coming to stay with friends and family. And how are we going to help accommodate these folks while their the communities are being rebuilt? The problem for the president is just be a human being, <laughs> you know, like part of this is just be a human being. Be generous. Be nice. Be considerate of your neighbors. Think about whether or not this is going to be uh, we're building a society where people in the country are taking care of each other or are people attacking each other. And when we saw what happened um, at these football games. Not all these uh, football players agree with what uh, many of the African-Americans can players are doing when they kneel not all the owners agree with what their players are doing but what they do agree with is that they're all in it together and they're a team and they're going to try to find a way to support each other even when they disagree and that's the kind of country we would hope the president of the united states would try to build right
0: you know and um so at the white house briefing yesterday um and i was there dominated by questions about you know the nfl uh, and, uh, uh, Jamie, if we can, I just want So, here's Sarah Sanders' response to the, the legitimate question, by the way, asked by John Roberts of Fox News <laughs> How does it help bring the country together for the president to stand behind a podium with a presidential seal and call certain players sons of bitches?
5: I think that it's always appropriate for the president of the United States to defend our flag, to defend the national anthem, and to defend the men and women who fought and died to defend it.
0: So you know what he's doing here? I mean, he's done this before. Yeah. Uh, When when he's in bad shape or whatever, is rally around the flag, you know, and make this a whole issue now about patriotism. And if you don't agree with me, you know, you are
1: anti-American. Yes. Even though this is the same man who attacked a sitting president of the United States for not being an American uh, who called the sitting president, Barack Obama, you know, a racist, but was not fired from The Apprentice like he wanted Jamil Bowie to be, re- be fired from ESPN. Um I mean, there is no standard for this president except what's good for him at the moment. It's not even what's good for him next week or what was good for him last week. It's what's good for him right now. I said to a Republican friend of mine, I said, you know, the thing about Republicans is I've always thought Republicans were in bed with big business. You know, maybe you're in bed with Wall Street. Maybe it's the oil companies. There's always some business interest Republicans are out for. These guys aren't even out for some segment of the economy they're trying to make better. They're just out for the Trump family. How can you stand by somebody who has no regard for for this country, has no regard for any of the country's economy, has no regard for any of the human beings in the country, except for his family. And how can you be in this government when that's what's occurring? I got to believe it's tough for people who are in the government to decide, well, maybe if I leave, it could be worse. But gosh, you're paying a high price for being associated with this. And by the way,
0: a lot of those business leaders that he lined up behind him when he was running for president, because there were not many CEOs who support him but the ones who did were the
1: owners of the sports team. That's right. That's right. And these guys are the ones who are criticizing him right now because right. he's going too far. Listen, I feel like Charlottesville uh, was a dividing line for the country, right? My family is from Charlotte, from outside of Charlottesville. Frankly, Bill, that's where my family was enslaved about 30 miles uh, east of Charlottesville in a little town called Kent store in uh, Fluvanna County. And, uh, you know, we have all kind of experiences that happened to us when we were there. We would go back and visit as I was growing up. This when you have a terrorist attack on the United on a U.S. citizen by a white supremacist group and this president stands up and says that he thinks that they were fine people, many of them were fine people, I think that this is beyond politics. This is about what kind of society, what kind of culture, what kind of civilization are, do we want to have. And Republican, you believe there ought to be more tax cuts and more military spending or whatever. That's a debate for another day. This is a question about whether or not Everybody in the country gets to participate in the country that we have, or are we going to reserve all the benefits for a privileged few and everybody else gets to get the scraps? Right. It's a fundamental question about where we are. And this president has identified himself on being on the side of take care of the privileged few and let everybody else have the scraps.
0: Uh, and uh, um, I believe um, that uh, this latest flap over the NFL or his is a continuation of Charlottesville. I mean, yes. uh, the White House keeps saying that it has nothing to do with race. Look- He said this in Alabama. (laughs) He didn't say this in Massachusetts. He didn't say this in California. (laughs) Uh, He knew the people down there would love what he said about NFL players who are 70% 70 black, right? Uh, And who were protesting police brutality against young, unarmed
1: African-American men around the country. Absolutely. Add them up. And, and and then you get Newt Nothing Gingrich. Nothing to do with race. Absolutely. Everything to do with race. And then Newt Gingrich comes out and says these millionaires ought to be quiet oh, because, yeah. oh. because they've been taken mm-hmm. care of in this country. Let me tell you something. When Tamir Rice was shot, this little boy who was shot in Cleveland, when the police got out of the car and seven seconds later they pulled the trigger and killed this little boy, they didn't find out whether or not his parents were wealthy. They didn't ask whether or not uh, he went to a private school. So it doesn't matter if you're a millionaire. If you have black or brown skin in this country and you encounter the police, you are in jeopardy of being shot, and those police are not in jeopardy of going to jail for doing it. And I think uh, for Newt Gingrich to make the statement that these millionaires ought to be quiet, (laughs) it's insane. It's insane. We won't even talk about the fact that, you know— Black and brown people helped build the country, so we have just as much a right as anybody else to have a say in its future. But, you know, th- this idea that uh, that somehow we should be grateful because the country has allowed us to be rich despite the fact that we are black and brown.
0: Well, I, I thought Newt Gingrich's comment was only matched by Steve Mnuchin, who said— yeah, these people have uh, they have the right of free speech, but they have to do that on their own time.
1: Right? It's okay. It's, it's okay the, for you to, listen, on their own time. It, here, here, yeah, here, right. here seems to be the conservative view on this, right? Which is, it's okay for you to protest as long as I don't have to see it, hear it, or, or encounter it in any fashion. <laughs> right. yeah. You yeah. can say it at home with the doors closed <laughs> and the microphones off in the privacy of your own home. <laughs> exactly. Right? It's like religion. <laughs> <laughs> you know, do it at home in the dark. Don't do it out in front of everybody else. Oh man! So there's a big um, or maybe that's sex.
0: I don't Re- know. A Repu- <laughs> Let's hope. Uh, Republican primary today in uh, Alabama. Uh, kind of interesting. Last night, by the way, there was a big rally. Um, and the, uh, the, you saw the difference between these two candidates pretty clearly. Here's a uh, high-energy In fact, if Donald Trump were running against him, he would call him what he called Jeb, right? Low-energy Jeb. This is a high-energy Luther Strange.
2: There's a lot on the line. 24 hours from now, we're going to be celebrating progress for the state of Alabama and for the United States. Mm,
1: mm, mm. Oh, I'm sorry. It was overdone. uh, (laughs) And
0: then, um, by the way, speaking of riding the racist horse, here is Roy
2: Moore. Today, there's a big dispute about taking down monuments. But forgetting our history. We can't forget our history. If we forget our history, we will repeat it.
4: I would like to point out that Roy Moore had a cowboy hat on and at one point pulled out a revolver. So
1: <laughs> that's you how you run
4: a political rally right there.
1: Are you serious? Did he really yeah. pull out a revolver? He pulled out a revolver. Yeah. All right. Roy okay. Moore's going to win, isn't he? Uh, I would probably bet on it, yes. <laughs> it looks yeah. like it's going to happen. Uh, you know, here's here's the thing. This is kind of true for both parties. The base of the parties are really driving the energy level in these elections. And I think this is something for the Democrats to pay attention to. Also, we cannot be in the position, Democrats, of trying to go find some random lawyer, some random business person and then sell them to our base and tell them why they're a good progressive. We've got to find people who are part of the progressive movement in whatever some fashion and they have credibility with progressives and then go sell them to the center. Yeah, that is the way that we win elections in this era. You do not find these milk toast candidates that you have come out of central casting and put a bunch of pollsters and media people around them and go try to convince people that they are progressive. And that's what they're president. trying to. That's what they've tried to do with Luther Strange in Alabama. And that's what the Republicans are trying to do with Luther Strange. Luther Strange, and it does not look like it's going to work. You know
0: what's what's so to me apparent about what's happening in Alabama is that Roy Moore is the Donald Trump of
1: Alabama, <laughs> <Right>. isn't he? <laughs> yes. Right, he is. Uh, You know Trump is kicking himself because he can see it, he can smell it. He he lived this campaign, right? He knows. No, this is why he said I may be making a mistake. Right? (laughs) Friday night when he's endorsing Luther Strange,
0: he says, "Yeah, well, if I lose, I'll I'll go campaign for that other guy."
1: Yeah. And, you know, and, and you, you've been out on campaigns for a long time. I've been out on campaigns. When you're out in a campaign, you can smell it. You can oh, smell yeah. when totally. the tide is turning. Yeah. You can look in people's eyes and tell whether or not, you know, you're talking to just like the, the faithful who don't really care or people are just there because they're showing up because their, you know, neighborhood boss told them to come. You can smell it. Here's here's how
0: uh, here here's how, uh, <laughs> but here's how much Donald Trump. Yesterday, I love it. He goes and uh, he did a radio interview yesterday in Alabama. Where else? The Rick and Bubba, the Rick and Bubba show. And here's uh, Donald Trump talking about uh, Judge Roy Moore.
6: Luther wins automatically. If Luther wins tomorrow, the Democrats will hardly fight. If Ray wins, they're going to pour in thirty million dollars, like they did in
1: Atlanta.
0: I think five times he called him Ray. Ray until until Bubba finally says, "Mr. President, is Roy."
1: Uh, President, you said you know obviously,
0: and, and it was Roy Moore. I know you were saying Ray, but Roy Moore and uh, so get your name of your candidate right. Yeah, yeah. He sure. said he's going to go back there and campaign
1: for Ray. Roy, whatever, <laughs> whatever his name is. Oh, if Ray wins, they're going to What does it say to um, this guy? This guy. Yeah. So
0: this is the first time that Trump has gone out on the on the road for as president for a candidate to try for Republican candidate Mitch McConnell's guy. He wants him to be the next vote. Boom, boom, boom. Uh, And Trump, let's say he does lose today. What's that? What's that say for like twenty for Republicans when they look at Donald Trump?
1: Oh, uh, that Donald Trump doesn't have as much swing as he thinks he does. I mean, look, we've seen uh, people in the streets marching against, all, uh, against many of Trump's policies. They have not been able to repeal or replace uh, Obamacare. Uh, they haven't got a single piece of major legislation done. He could lose his first big campaign um, uh, endorsement. This president is a toothless tiger. He is good for Donald Trump, perhaps. We'll see if if that continues to be true. Uh, But he is not good for anybody else in the Republican Party, and they should all save themselves, get to the lifeboats, because this ship is going down. How is it going down? Oh, I think that uh, we got uh, Mueller, who is <laughs> <Yeah, laughs> circling okay. well, the president of the United States and and enclosing on all of his friends and allies. You see the leaks that are coming out of the White House. You see now we found that White House advisors had emailed private email accounts after they attacked. Wait, Hillary they Clinton only for did that year. because
0: it was more convenient.
1: <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> you know, every single thing Don't this president tried to set up, right, is, uh, is sort of falling apart. I think if I'm a Republican, I'm going to just look for the exit because there's no way. One listen, it may cost you something in the short term. It might, it might cost you a little something. In the long term, you got to look your children and grandchildren in the eye. You're going to be in a history book and wherever it is that you're from. And do you want the story of your political career to be that you signed up with this racist demagogue? Does he <laughs> last four years? Uh, I think if he continues to do things like he's doing with North Korea and uh, Iran and tweeting out. Um, tweeting out things that aren't true, getting us on the brink of war, he's at war with the national media. He's at war with the intelligence community. The FBI and the Justice Department are circling around him and his friends. At some point, I think the dam breaks. I don't. I you know I I can't see how it ends exactly, but I don't think that this country is going to last four years. But if break. it does end short of four years, it's got to be Robert Mueller. No. Yeah, or, I think I think Mueller's the uh, Mueller is the well, instigating factor that gives everybody permission to end this nightmare. Right, right. Right. I mean, ultimately, it's got to be Republicans in Congress who are the only ones who right. can do it. Right. Right. And they just need but they, they need they something need. to be able to go home and say the president of the United States is a crook, and so we decided to get rid of him. Right. Uh, the other, uh, if
0: if the, if the president does, in fact, which we believe is going to happen, lose this primary today in Alabama. Uh, by the end of this week, it looks like he's going to lose again, an effort that I don't know why he, after one time saying, well, this effort to repeal failed and we're never going back there, that he gets back on on track again and, and, and becomes a big cheerleader for we're
1: going to do it this time. And loses again. Right. Right. Oh, my eye feels better after the last time I put the spoon in it. Where's the spoon? I got to put another spoon in my eye. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Right.
0: I don't know how he got sucked into supporting this crappy bill. Right. Yeah. But again, if that happens and if, in fact, this repeal fails, um, that also kind of chips away, if you will, at the credibility of a Trump presidency.
1: Yeah, at some not point, not to mention a McConnell leadership. Yeah, yeah, and look, and if he keeps doing deals with Chuck and Nancy, as he talks about, at some point the Republican leadership has got to ask itself, what are we getting out of this? Other, other than a headache, <laughs> what are we getting out of this? The president will throw us under the bus whenever he feels like it, and he can't help us get anything passed, and he gets us on the brink of war with adversaries. He undermines our relationship with our allies. He's undermining, you know, the economy. Like there's no, there's nothing that's good about this presidency. Should he make any, should he make,
0: should Chuck and Nancy make any deals with Trump?
1: Yes, because I think uh, time is short and there are real people with real lives that are in jeopardy. And if the the Democrats can figure out a way to help save some Americans from being deported, they should figure that way out. Uh, Even though it basically gives Donald Trump a win? Yeah, but it won't matter because his base won't like it and Democrats will never go along. It's not like we're going to convince a bunch of people that Donald Trump's not a nincompoop. Right. Like people sort of get a lot of evidence that Donald Trump can't really be trusted with the job. And every deal he cuts with Chuck and Nancy is undermining him with a bunch of Republicans and dividing the Republican Party. So the Democrats get to save people from being harmed. And Donald Trump gets political problems either on his right wing or his far right wing, depending on the deal that he cuts. So, dreamers, DACA, right? Get, Get DACA. Get DACA. If you can find a way to shore up. Uh, the healthcare markets find a way to shore up the healthcare markets with some Republicans. Do what you can to get it done. It is. I don't think that we are at all in jeopardy of saving the Trump presidency because he cuts deals with Democrats.
0: And by the way, on the issue of Dreamers and DACA, no better uh, no better expert or source on that than Congressman Raul Ruiz from California, our good friend, who's a doctor himself. Uh, he'll be uh, joining Jamal and me in the next half hour. Uh, to talk about the DREAMers, talk about DACA, and talk about this latest repeal effort. And if that fails, what should what should Congress be doing? Um, maybe working together to fix some of the problems with Obamacare? Um, yeah. By the way, it was very interesting because, um, I don't know whether you had a chance to see, I actually didn't watch it myself, the debate last night on CNN about where we go in healthcare, And it was uh, Lindsey Graham and... Bill Cassidy, yeah. <laughs> valiantly trying to defend, foolishly trying to defend their legislation, yet even though it was dead, already dead, uh, versus Amy Klobuchar and Bernie Sanders. Uh, Bernie, of course, with uh, the champion of Medicare for all, single- or single payer. Um, and he was asked, what should happen next? Um, Bernie may have surprised some of his supporters by taking a very pragmatic uh, approach. Here
2: he is. What the American people want is us to work together to build on and improve the Affordable Care Act, not repeal. Um,
1: Good for him. Yeah. Good for right? him. Bernie uh, yeah, can't be this, a team player.
0: Right. With <laughs> yeah. all this criticism about Bernie ruining everything by calling on Medicare for all, I mean, I said at the time, Jamal, that what Bernie was saying, this was the aspirational goal. Yes. Of co- everybody being covered just like everybody in Medicare you know, is covered uh, and, and hope maybe someday that's where we will end up.
1: But clearly the first step is we've got Obamacare. Build on it. Build on it. And I think he said something else. I watched about 40 minutes of it last night. Uh, I think he said something else which we ought to be focused on, which is bringing back the idea of a government option. Right, So before we even get to maybe all single-payer, what you really need is a yeah. public plan that can compete with the private options and is a place for people who are being priced out. I think that would have the most immediate impact on stabilizing prices and covering as many people as possible. Yeah, absolutely. And not to beat a dead horse, but it was part of the plan in the beginning. It President was.
0: Obama went around the country, sold a lot of people on it, including me, Yeah, and then dropped it. And, and, and dropped. I think that's uh, uh, that's too bad. That would be a good first step, you know. As part of the effort to improve. Obama. So with the Republican Party falling apart, the Trump presidency mm-hmm. falling apart, as you've, you've pointed out it, uh, in our time together here, uh, that is a great opportunity for the Democratic Party. Are Democrats taking
1: advantage of it? Uh, so, uh, yes and no. Okay, here's, <laughs> So I'm going to no, be really – uh, how's that? That's very Harold that's, Ford of me. Um, so I think <laughs> – that's my Only friend. you and I could get that inside baseball <laughs> joke, <Yes>. right? <laughs> um, but, you know, uh, I think that uh, a lot of people are looking for the Democratic Party to have some big overarching message that everybody's going to sign up for and go along with. Here's the problem with that for me. The problem with that is the way Democrats tend to work is that that means that a bunch of lawyers and academics are going to sit around in a Washington conference room room and come up with a plan to benefit the other 300 million Americans out there, which is, I think, a fundamentally flawed approach. I think we have to look at what's happening out here and all these races that are taking place, and let's say, okay, you know what? Let's go find, instead of, again, let's go find some lawyer who's got a great pocketbook who can self-fund in some congressional district. Let's go to the district. Let's ask them, who do you talk to when you care about what's happening around here? Who's the person that speaks up at the PTA meeting? Who's the one everybody goes to see? Oh, it's Principal Johnson at the middle school. Great. Let's go find Principal Johnson and ask her to run for Congress Mm -hmm. (laughs) right she already is somebody people turn to let's go find (laughs) her and let's build a team and some money around her and help her win and you know what we've got hundreds of races that are going to take place out there and then we will see what's successful we will start to see what people react to like little test markets this is what business people do like right go find these little test markets we see what Democrats respond to and what they like and the things that start to work let's scale them up and let's export them to a bunch of other places that's how we began winning back in the 1990s when we had people like Zell Miller and the governor of South Carolina and we had Democratic governor in Alabama, a Democratic governor, uh, a childs in Florida. All those governors ran on education and, and the Hope Scholarship and people figured out that education will sell. Parents cared about education. And we started running that all over mm-hmm. the South. Bill Clinton ran on it. Everybody ran on it. And Democrats did really well. I think we've got to find um, we've got to let. Candidates run, see what what people respond to, the things that are popular, let's scale them up. We know what the basic values are of the Democratic Party. We believe that everybody ought to have a chance to succeed, everybody ought to be put in the pot, and everybody ought to be held responsible for their actions. And then let's find people who are going to go out there and find a way to make that work. Uh, You mean uh, Something... A better approach than what was it they called it? The better deal. Or yeah, the, yeah. Yeah. And people and let's be uh, that, aspirational. People want opportunity. Yeah. People want you know, we had this whole thing, opportunity for all. We want everybody to have a chance to build a better life, earn a better living. And the thing and here's what makes me nervous about my moderate friends. I went out to <laughs> Aspen to one of these big democratic powwows that people do with a bunch of people. And the thing that makes me nervous about my moderate friends is they think you can have an argument about the future of the country and not mention race or gender. And I think you've got to be able to say we want everybody to succeed. That means we want the white working class kid in Akron, Ohio, and we want the African-American woman in you know, Atlanta, Georgia, and we want the LGBT person in you know, Oklahoma. Like We want everybody to be able to have a chance in this country, and we're going to do what it takes to make sure everybody gets a chance to succeed. The moderates sometimes think we can talk about this and ignore race and gender. And I just don't think you can do that because Democrats and everybody in the country need to know who you're talking about. And and if you don't mention me, I kind of think you're not talking about me. I think that was true for white working class voters in the last election. Democrats didn't talk about, didn't mention them, didn't talk about them very directly. And I think those white working class voters felt left out of the Democratic program. And if we flip it completely and only talk about white working class voters, Latinos are going to feel left out too. And there's no way we can win if they don't show up on election right. day.
0: So you got to get – but both of them have to be part of the equation. They all right? have to be part of the equation. Because certainly those white middle-class working voters are the ones who – a lot of them, too many of them felt left out Absolutely. By, from Hillary Clinton's message.
1: She, they didn't think she was speaking to them. They thought Bernie was. They thought Donald Trump was. Absolutely. And that's that's why you've got to find a message that works and don't be afraid to talk to everybody about it. And I think that's the thing that we need our moderate friends to realize. Yes, we got to talk to white working class voters. We also have to keep talking to our base voters and convince them to show up. Because this is the other thing that Hillary Clinton learned. If people don't believe you, Mm -hmm. if people don't trust you, then they're not going to show up for you on Election Day. And that in a place like Michigan where you lose by 10,000 votes but you've got 70,000 voters missing out of the city of Detroit – I could you, Hillary Clinton could want could have won Michigan. She could have won Wisconsin if she had turned out Democrats. She didn't have to talk to a single person who voted for Donald Trump. All right. she had to talk to were Democrats, and she could have won both of those states and maybe even Pennsylvania. Jamal Simmons with us is a friend of
0: Bill Democratic Strategist. Take a quick break, and joined uh, by the good Congressman from con- from California's 36th congressional district, Congressman Raúl Ruiz. And we'll talk about dreamers. We'll talk about uh, health care. Uh, and with all of you, don't forget your comments on the news of the day. Always welcome on Twitter at BP Show. President, you said,
2: you know, obviously, and, and it was Roy Moore. I know you were saying Ray, but Roy Moore. Follow us on Twitter at BP Show. This is the Bill Press Show. <laughs> Live video, Bill's commentary, the best clips from the show, all in one place. YouTube.com slash The Bill Press Show. How about it on a Tuesday, September
0: 26th? Uh, hello, everybody. Welcome back to The Bill Press Show here, coming to you live from Washington, D.C. That's where we start, and we end up right alongside of you, wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, coast to coast, on YouTube, on Free Speech TV, and on WCPT uh, Chicago and we're brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE under President J. David Cox. They're the men and women proud to get up and work for America every day, keeping our federal agencies running and serving uh, Americans all over the country. Salute them and thank them for their support of the program. Uh, with us as a friend of Bill this hour, a Democratic strategist, good friend of the show, uh, longtime friend of the show, Jamal Simmons, uh, back good on morning. duty today. Yes. Um and we are joined by uh, a good friend also of the program, representing California's 36th congressional district, the great Coachella Valley, the city of Palm Springs, Congressman Raul Ruiz. Good to see you, Congressman. Wonderful to be here, man. Welcome back. Um, Susan Collins says yesterday, uh, this bill is not the answer. Does that mean this latest effort to repeal Obamacare is dead? No. And I think it's very important that people
6: uh, understand that we still have to sound the alarm. We still have to be aggressive. This is only a uh, short-term, temporary September 30th uh, deadline where they only need 51 votes. And quite frankly, the only votes that we can count on as a no are Senator McCain's and Senator Collins'. All of these other senators who are saying that they're no, like Senator Ted Cruz and Rand Paul, they have said no before and they have been... Uh, they have changed their votes uh, after just the slightest of pressure. So right now... Ted Cruz, in fact, said said that he
0: would like to vote for the (laughs) Yeah,
6: and that's what he said last time. And Rand Paul started changing his tune this weekend, saying, this is how I can get to yes. So in other words, these other people are using it for publicity and also to help negotiate more uh, more pork for their states. So the only ones that we can really count on are uh, McCain and Collins. And uh, Murkowski, Senator Murkowski, she's she's silent on this issue, which makes me very nervous because they're trying to sweeten her her deal by throwing a lot of funds over to Alaska. Uh, uh, Senator Murkowski, Senator Collins have said that they are against defunding Planned Parenthood, so I'm hoping that they will be true to their values and 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 stand against uh, this latest version of TrumpCare.
0: How could you vote against the last repeal effort? and then vote for this one.
6: I, I that that's going to be very difficult uh for them. So so I'm really hoping that uh that she'll come through and let's let's uh Let's get to September 30th because we know that after September 30th they're going to have to go through an, uh, another process where they're going to need 60 votes, which will make it ve- much more or, difficult. And, how, and that just means that now we just have to go to regular order, like Senator McCain wants, and let's geez, do some bipartisan yeah. fixes and let's figure out some, how some yeah, some <laughs> some next steps order, on,
0: right. on uh, improving the Affordable Care Act. And uh, I know Jeremiah, you want to jump in? This one final question here. So, um, just tell us about this. Bill, I mean, when you hear Lindsey Graham and Bill Cassidy talk about it, that sounds like their love and sweetness, and, you know, this is, this is good for everybody. Yeah. We're just going to let the yep. states. <laughs> Here's, Bill Cass... Here's Senator Cassidy last night on, on CNN.
2: Let Minnesota do what Minnesota's doing. We've heard Amy say how successful they are. And we think by doing that, it's not extreme. It's a way to bring health care to you, <clears throat> to you and to your state in a way which uniquely meets your needs. We are about you getting care, you being covered, you having the power.
0: And we're never going to do anything. that will take away the right of insurance companies to deny you because of a pre-existing condition. Mm-hmm.
2: Oh yeah. You
6: know he, he he really pulled the doctor card last night, and I was just aching inside. I was like, man, I wish I were on that stage. I wish I were going toe to toe with uh, with with Senator
0: Graham. Being and, a doctor yourself. Yeah, being
6: a doctor myself, and and taking care of patients and understanding what it means to put patients <laughs> first. You know, patients. You know, they they talked about patient choice, but I can tell you as an emergency physician. When you have no health care, when you have no clinics in your community, when your when your hospitals are going to get uh, shut down, patients don't have a choice. And that's the problem. The only choice they have. is I mean, it, it is to the only reality they have is to be uninsured and not be able to afford care. And so they wait and they suffer and they're in pain. They can't breathe with CHF. Their their glucose is out of control of their diabetics. And then they come into the emergency department. And in a coma or short of breath and respiratory failure and we have to save their lives, uh, put them on ventilators, get them back on their feet and then discharge them for them only to succumb to their illnesses again because they have no care. And with that anxiety that a visit to the emergency department is going to put them into financial ruin. So the Affordable Care Act gave them a choice. You know, they were either uninsured or now they have some ability to have health insurance insurance. Uh, They have uh, some protections now with the essential health benefits. If they're sick, they can't be denied uh, and they can't be uh, charged more if they're women. They don't they're not charged more simply for being women. So the Affordable Care Act uh, has had some incredible transformational successes. Uh, Every time that Republicans say that it has failed, we need a we need to call them out on it and say twenty million more people having health insurance is not a failure. Uh, people who have chronic illnesses, uh, mm-hmm. ab- abolishing that lifetime cap where insurance companies pay a certain amount, then you're on your own. We've abolished that, so that is a success. Uh, kids and young adults staying on their health, uh, their parents' health insurance till twenty-six, success. Uh, health insurance now it has guaranteed coverage for emergency care, maternity care. Uh, Mental health prescription drugs—that's a success. So these are successes that the that the Affordable Care Act have uh, provided. Now what we have to do is we have to di- accurately diagnose why are premiums skyrocketing, and premiums are skyrocketing. I'm tell you the vast. Uh, majority uh, of the reason is that uh, healthcare costs are just out of control, mm-hmm. medications out of control, uh, uh, procedures out of control, hospital stays out of control. You know, you name it, you look at it, and we don't have the transparency needed to really understand why are we being charged that that many. And then when you look at the fact that there's only one health insurance in in the majority of in the exchanges alone, mind you, let's mm-hmm. keep this in perspective. Eighty percent of of Americans are covered through their employer. So we're looking at a small, uh, small population of the entire population that's in the individual market. But but nonetheless, they 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 are very important to to the fabric of our American community. So when you look at them, uh, you have one health insurance in a county. Well, that health insurance now can do a lot of things, right? They can they can start Looking at uh, uh, how much they can charge, they can look at their their no profit. They can no competition. They can pull out if the risks are going up. So we need to provide more competition in in those states. So this bill, the bottom line is this: this um, block grant approach is a Republican's way of putting healthcare in the chopping block and cutting health services for patients. Why? Because it is like that pr- Medicare private voucher concept, like we're only going to give you a certain amount. Mm-hmm. And then mm-hmm. after that, you're on your own. And so states, this is what states are going to be forced to do. They're going to have to change their eligibility criteria. So more people are uninsured. They're going to have to change their benefits and what they cover. So those expensive cancer medications or that extra hospital stay are, may not be covered so they can save their money. And then finally, they're going to cut their reimbursements for hospitals, clinics and doctors, especially those that take the Medicaid program, especially those that work in rural America. Uh, and what's going to happen is these patients are going to be uh, more uninsured, uh, face higher costs and have less providers in those areas and what the federal government what this bill does is it absolves their responsibility by saying well now well that wasn't our choice that yeah. was the state's <laughs> yeah, decision to right, yeah.
1: the governors um so i may have this wrong but t- this is am glad you're here because you can help answer this question for me it looks like they're playing a political game too there were a bunch of governors who signed up for the medicaid expansion right and they were in the they were in the pot it looks like now what they're doing is they're taking the medicaid money and instead of uh, just giving it to the ones who signed up for the medicaid expansion they're block granting it and then cutting it up between all the states right so you got a bunch of states that didn't take the expansion but now they're going to get more money while yep. states that did take the expansion are going to get a little are going to get less let right? me just give
0: you one california yeah 28 million billion dollars will lose billion dollars lose with this bill and that and is that bill. the reason why and i just, got that from Secretary Diana Dooley, who's the head of the California uh, Health Health um, Agency,
1: and that that sounds to me like the reason why you've got these other governors who were not Medicaid expansion states who now want to, who are now supporting this bill because they're going to get money that's going to help them. That the other gov- that they wouldn't have gotten otherwise.
6: Yeah, and it's an indirect of rewarding those uh, those states that did not comply or did not want to expand Medicaid, uh, so that their residents would f- finally be able to afford health care insurance. So, a- absolutely right. It disproportionately, according to the math, will penalize states that did the right thing, that expanded Medicaid, and now have record <laughs> low uninsured population uh, throughout the nation. And it's it is it is wrong. This Thing is, and is pl- there a
1: cliff at 2026? Oh.
6: Uh, well, yeah, there. 20, 27, or 27 maybe 27, yeah, but yeah, yeah they, at, and you know, and at some point, uh, you know, with with this uh Republican controlled Congress, uh, their, their their dream is to eventually cut all funding, right? Right, uh, you know, but but every year they're they're going to try to make the case that you know they don't need to fund more and they're just going to you know do it uh, in a different way and and Fundamentally, this is a very important question that goes to the core of who we are as Americans and how we define our responsibility for one another. So the yep. Republican model is a free market, let consumers decide, uh, or or I should say, uh, you, you, you set a price, the, the set price, where you have the supply and demand, and and if you can't afford that price, then you know so be it, right? So they view healthcare as a commodity, where only those that can afford healthcare are privileged to to get the care when they're ill or they're sick or or when they're broken. Uh, that is contrary to our vision of healthcare, which is uh, healthcare is a Common good because, you know, uh, if your neighbors are sick, if, if your community's sick, if we're not uh, healthy, then our society uh, isn't as productive uh, and, and, and healthy. So we need to view health care and health as a human right.
1: And, you know, there was another uh, part of the conversation last night, which, you know, we, the three of us guys are sitting here, but I don't want to leave this off the table, where they talked about Planned Parenthood. And there was a woman who got up and talked about how Planned Parenthood helped to, uh, helped to save her health so that she could continue to have kids. And so Bill Cassidy started making some ridiculous argument. And you could see the woman shaking her head because the story, the way he was laying it out, was not her story. So what happens when they cut Planned Parenthood off?
6: You know, I worked with Planned Parenthood before I ran for Congress, and because uh, I went into trailer parks where I grew up uh, as a farm worker kid where there are no doctors, and, and I'm talking about the most underserved area in the state of California in that region, and we're trying to figure out how can we increase access? How can we increase access to healthcare, to basic public health, to and to education, uh, health education, and the the people that we were with me from different clinics uh, community clinics FQHCs but planned parenthood was there with their mm-hmm. health promoters mm-hmm. so what will happen is that you won't get vital services like health prevention uh, cervical cancer screening like uh, breast cancer exams like basic uh, primary care services in the in the hardest to reach areas of our nation uh, and you won't get the health education that patients need to make wise choices to plan their families to prevent teen pregnancy to make sure that that uh, that that they have the service and this is for men too you yeah. know men men get prostate exams men men can get care at Planned Parenthood uh, services so this is now taking another vital piece of the puzzle in our most underserved areas throughout our nation and taking that away and there is not enough Fqas there's not enough community health services there's not enough OBGYNs. there's not enough family physicians there's not <laughs> enough internists <laughs> to supplant that once you once you remove yeah. Planned Parenthood
0: Right. Yeah. Um, we have, uh, we're talking with Congressman Raul Ruiz from California, Jamal Simmons, uh, Democratic Dr. strategist. Ruiz. Doctor, doctor, <laughs> yes. Uh, uh, on care, but I do want to move on the time we have left to talk about the Dreamers, because you uh, just had a news conference uh, in California uh, on this issue. Uh, and we know what uh, Donald Trump has done, right? Throw it to Congress yeah. and said, you guys fix it by the end of the year. What's the likelihood? What should happen? You
6: know, I, I think
0: that. That if there is anything
6: that we could potentially agree on, uh, dealing with immigration is passing the Dream Act. I, I really do. I mean, when you look at the vast majority of Americans, Republicans and Democrats think that Dreamers are yeah. exactly the young adults that we want to keep in our country because yes. they're in yeah. our universities or colleges, in our military. They're they you know they they have a clean record. Uh, and they know no other country than America, they love America, uh, then then they are the ones that we should accept and, and provide a pathway to citizenship and protect them so that their families aren't torn apart. Uh, now, if the moral claim and the common sense doesn't really uh, uh, sink through, then let's look at it in economic terms. Uh, four, uh, the DREAMers provide $460 billion dollars in economic activity in our nation Mm. uh, within a decade. So so it, it, it's an economic boon for us. Plus, these are kids who are gonna start their businesses. So we need to pass the DREAM Act, and we need to do it now. I'm, I'm concerned Republicans are gonna use uh, the last-minute, six-month marks, so bring it down to the wire, manage by crisis so they could increase their their time, urgency, leverage uh, in their negotiations. Um, but we need to cut through that. We need to make sure that, that we build enough goodwill with Within Republican members of
1: Congress to pass the the Dream Act, and, and so. What do you think? What do you think about the Succeed Act that uh, Orrin Hatch and the Republicans in the Senate uh, started talking about? I guess it's it's some slimmed down version of the Dream Act, is the way people are describing it.
6: You know, I I, I think the the crux here is that we we, we need to give them a, a pathway to citizenship, and the Dream Act does just that, mm-hmm. right? Uh, it uh, if they're here and within five years, uh, they can become citizens. You know. Bill, let's correct this myth, right, where you hear a lot of people say, well, these dreamers, they've had all this opportunity. Why aren't they? Why are they not citizens? Why haven't they applied? Well, first of all, we're talking about a, a certain group that does not that have difficulty even raising the money just to apply for DACA. Uh, yeah. you know yeah. it you know the they're, they're not affluent well-off individuals they they've right. lived in the shadows they're in the margins they are they're, they're having their they're working jobs here and there uh, they're going to school so they have their tuitions they get no no government benefits they get no government assistance mm-hmm. for their mm-hmm. student a they're doing it all on their own and and from uh, goodwill from from philanthropists who believe in their dream as well so and the other thing is that our immigration system is broken uh, we have dreamers that have been in the system for years and they're still waiting for their interviews. They're still waiting for uh, the uh, to, to get the, the, the notice as to what the next step is going to be for them to become citizens. So we need to fix our immigration system. We need to look at well, comprehensive immigration reform. But first of all, let's pass the DREAM Act. And yeah. I do want to make this one other sure. point,
1: which is that the face of the uh, DREAM Act and dreamers has primarily been Latino, but it really also affects a lot of black... Uh, uh, youth yeah. and people from the Asian Caribbean, American. from Asian Americans who yep. are also coming in. This is mm-hmm. not, you know, we like to talk about this because the Republicans are demonizing yeah. uh, Latinos, but this is really also about people from all over the world who are being caught up in this net of what Donald Trump is trying to do. No, uh, very good point. But you know, the the, the, the response that the White
0: House always is when it comes up at our briefings from Sarah Huckabee Sanders is when we mentioned the Dream Act, Dreamers of the or the or DACA. Well, we believe in comprehensive immigration reform. We don't think we should just do this one little thing. You know, we should have comprehensive. Wait until we can have comprehensive immigration reform.
6: Yeah, You know, um, they, they, they like to dance around the issue. Uh, yeah, we want comprehensive immigration reform too. Sure, we've been right. pushing for this. Yeah, yeah right. you know the Senate passed it. Uh, you know a few exactly. years ago, we right. wanted it in the House, and they didn't allow us. George been, Bush tried it. Yeah, we've been fighting for the Dream Act for for years now. Yeah, and we have to keep in mind that there's two people who have the constitutional authority to decide uh, what gets voted on. That's the Speaker of the House and and Mitch uh, Paul Ryan and Leader Mitch McConnell from the Senate. Those two individuals. Uh, alone decide what we vote on and what we don't vote on. Is there on.
0: any doubt in your mind if the if the if, if dreamers dreamer legislation right, which includes more than DACA, correct? I mean the Dream
6: Act. The Dream Act is, 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 is DACA with a pathway to citizenship.
0: Okay, but aren't there more people? So there are people who would qualify under the Dream Act who are not part of DACA today. No, no, I don't. I don't believe okay. so. All right, so it's eight hundred thousand. Yeah. If that bill, here's my question: If that bill came to the floor of the House today. Would have would have passed. Yes, I, I do. Standalone believe. Standalone. Yes,
6: I do believe it'll
0: pass the Senate.
6: Uh, yes, I do believe it'll pass the Senate.
0: Yeah. So, so the, the what, so why don't they just bring it to the floor? It's right?
6: Politics, just like everything else. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. You know, catering to the, by the base way, and to the. I think Trump that's out would there. sign that bill. I think he would too.
1: Yeah. You know why? To get to get a, uh, to get off the hook. Yeah. That he so put D- Dick on. Durbin came out, I think, yesterday against this idea of what Orrin Hatch and those are, are pushing. And their idea in the Succeed Act is basically like the DREAM Act, except you would your green card that you would get as a DREAMer, which would then allow you to become a citizen after five or apply for citizenship after five years, but you would not be able to use that green card to try to bring in other family members. So it wouldn't apply to anybody else in your family. And I think that's one of the reasons why people have said that they're not really in favor of the Republican approach. In what the about Senate. that issue?
6: I mean, you know...
1: If these are the successful students,
6: right? They didn't get into trouble, uh, they're in college, they're, they've they're serving in our military, uh, then one can one can send they must have been in a good ho- home, a good household. Uh, not to say that the but you other But you
1: saw what happened to Nancy Pelosi last week where she got interrupted when she was speaking in California because people wanted more than what they thought that the Democrats were pushing for, right?
6: Well, yeah. We all want more. Nancy Pelosi wants more, you know. But uh, again, like Speaker Ryan and Mitch McConnell are the ones who decide uh, uh, what we are going to vote on. And we're fighting for more. So I think that that is very understandable uh, because... You know the dreamers are frustrated. I'm frustrated. Everybody's frustrated with this. We got to push it. We got to get a win, uh, and uh, and we do want comprehensive Im- immigration reform, uh, and we do want to keep families together. But uh, but this is our opportunity right now. Is with with this Dream Act. So let's get this first step. Let's get this first win, and then let's continue
0: to fight for comprehensive immigration reform. Right. Uh, and I know that uh, our, uh, <coughs> Donald Trump's good friends Chuck and Nancy uh, <laughs> would still like to do a, a deal just on Dreamers, and that's what they're they're still pushing for. That I hope they succeed. Um, I, I agree with you. I think they get the votes. If they, but then Paul Ryan's got to put it on the floor. Yeah, right. Exactly. exactly. Um, doctor, let me ask you this: yeah. um, uh, From your experience with the medical system, our medical system, um, there is a John Conyers has a bill for single payer in the House mm-hmm. that has more people on it than it ever had, more Democrats than it ever has before. Are you one of them? No. Why I'm not? You know, I I am
6: one of those um, evidence based, um, uh, very thoughtful in in my policy. Not that this was not thoughtful, but I want to see more numbers. I want to see what the CBO score. Would say in terms of how much this would cost, or if there were any increase in taxes. Uh, I was just recently talking to professors out of Harvard in a small group, to some of the architects of, of single payers for other nations, as well as some mm-hmm. of the folks that were involved in Vermont's attempt to get single payer. So I can truly understand what are some of the obstacles that that uh, that we've gone through in, in in attempting single payer politically, as well as the the economics. And so I want to. Make sure that uh, it's not going to cause more harm than good so that we can be able to be successful if we ever go that route. Now, having said that, Bill, uh, I am adamantly uh, a believer in health as a human right and I don't and I think that we need universal care not universal access because we know how insurance companies kind Mm -hmm. of you know play with their different funding mechanisms so eventually you're gonna be priced out if deductibles go up premiums low etc and so so we need universal care and if we have the means to take care of a a patient then we should do it and and there's a lot of different ways to get there single payer is one of those Uh, Medicare for all is perhaps one of those. Uh, I think we should look at our different options. I think that we should consider uh, definitely the public option. We need to consider expanding Medicare for all Mm -hmm. Uh, once, once the American public start realizing, hey, this isn't like... Russia socialism or communism, where they're going right. to dictate to us what we want. This is actually increase in options. Then we have a better chance of getting to to,
0: to universal care. All right, Congressman, you got your work cut out for you in healthcare and in uh, the with the dreamers, among a lot of other issues. Thanks so much for who you are and for coming in today and Thanks, all the good Bill. work you're doing. Thanks. Uh, always good to see you again, Jamal. Keep up the good fight, my friend. Thank you. I'll be back. All right, you guys have a great day. We'll see you tomorrow right this here on the Bill Press. Is Show. the Bill
2: Press Show. Oh.